Hello. Welcome to the Sunny History Today. I'm Taz. I'm Steph. Why was that awkward? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, no, I'm out of practice. We literally recorded. We've only done one, and so I'm still not used to it. It's been so long. <laughs> it just feels weird now. I think it's been a month or something, hasn't it? Nearly longer, because we didn't do one in October at all. Oh, shit. I didn't realise it was that long. September, we did something in September, but we haven't done anything all of October. Oh, my God. Sorry, October. <laughs> no hard feelings. Uh, so we came back with a nice, wholesome piece. Mm-hmm. And now I'm going to do a complete 180 and do the most horrendous thing ever. <laughs> Are we looking at murder? Kinda. Kind of murder. Death. Okay, somebody died. <laughs> a lot of people died. Oh, no. You're going to be like, why are we doing this? Um, this is definitely going to be a long piece because there's a lot of information. Okay. And I haven't even mentioned everything in this because I know it's it's complicated. Okay. A lot of pieces to talk about, but I'll just cover the bare bones, I guess. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Okay, so on this day, November 18th, 1978, 43 years ago... <laughs> Yes. I don't know why I need to think about that when it's written down in front of me. <laughs> I was like, 43? Yes. 43 years ago, um, the Jonestown Massacre took place. <sighs> mass suicide, massacre, mass murder. You went, right back, potata. you went right back to my country for this one. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Yep. Okay. Sorry, went from Sesame Street to <gasps> cult murder. Okay, we ready to end into it? In case y'all don't know, <laughs> my family's from Guyana, where Jonestown, unfortunately, the whole the whole piece took place. Yeah. Everybody knows the story. <laughs> we don't like to talk about the story. <laughs> I feel like I have PTSD and I wasn't even there. I wasn't even alive at the time. Oh my oh, god. So and my mom was like, I think my mom was nine at the time that this oh. whole thing happened. Like, I would love to call her and be like, right, we're talking about this. <laughs> what would you remember? Oh, oh my god, I can feel myself getting very warm now. Oh, this is, yeah. this is not the effect I thought this would have. Yeah, I didn't think I was going to... Okay, I'm going to tie the hair back. Oh, okay, we're getting ready. We're getting, getting ready. serious. Carry on. Okay, so, so just a heads up, this one is going to be long. <laughs> but also, uh, it's going to be sad informative it will hopefully I mean, <laughs> but yeah. um there may be details later on in the story that upset people because it is very upsetting i'll try not to be too graphic i don't think i'm that graphic about it but um like is it a trigger warning maybe it, yeah it's, it's gonna be yeah i'm, I'm not gonna lie i kind of wish i was trigger warned before this <laughs> Well, I mean, when I first told you what it was, your face kind of told me, like, yeah. oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is, unfortunately, it's part of my history. So, yeah. Bless. So, um, just a fair warning, it is really sad. It is um, heavy. So, I do apologize for that. But, hopefully, you'll learn something. Cool. Let's get into it. <laughs> the People's Temple Agricultural Project, or better known by its informal name, Jonestown, was formed in Indialap... Oh my gosh, Tara. <laughs> Already. In... Oh, I know how to say it! And now I can't say it! What are you trying Indip- to say? Indip- <laughs> it- oh my god. 
Oh. Indiana, but the, it's in India. In, oh, I can't do it. Indianapolis. Yes. Why can't I say that? Indiap. No, I can't do it. Indianapolis. Indianapolis. There you go. Oh my god. <laughs> this is not a good start because I also forgot to say there are so many names mm-hmm. in this that I'm just gonna say them, and I'm not even gonna try and pretend that I know how to pronounce it. Are they like? Um... Are they names that I could pronounce? No, like, they're just unusual white people names. Oh, okay. <laughs> then you should know this. Well, like, their names, I'm like, I have no idea how I would say that. But, so, from now on, if there's a name, I'm just going to say it and apologize afterwards. And you'll know that I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it. <laughs> anyway, so, I got Indianapolis. You got there it. There we go. In Indiana, 1955. Basically, they formed in Indiana in 1955. <laughs> Though its roots in teaching shared more with Christian revival movements than with Marxism, it purported to practice what it called apostolic socialism. <laughs> Doing so, the uh, temple preached that those who remained drugged with the opiate of religion had to be brought to enli- enlightenment socialism. Right. <laughs> in the early 1960s, the leader of the temple, Jim Jones, visited Guyana. It was then a British colony while on his way to establishing a short-lived temple mission in Brazil. So after Jones received considerable criticism in Indiana for his integrationist views, the temple moved to Redwood Valley, California in 1965. And in the early 1970s, the temple opened other branches in LA and San Francisco, and it would eventually move its headquarters to San Fran. Mm. With the move to San Francisco came increasing political involvement by the temple and the high levels of approval they received from the local government. <laughs> of course. After the group's participation proved instrumental in the uh, mayoral election victory for George Mo- Moscone, sorry, in 1975. <laughs> You're doing great. <laughs> uh, he was appointed, uh, Moscone appointed Jones as the chairman of the San Francisco Housing Authority Commission. Okay. Great, put a cult leader in a position like that. Unlike many other figures who are considered cult leaders, Jones enjoyed public support and contact with some of the highest level politicians in the US. Jones met with vice presidential vice presidential candidate Walter Mondale and first lady Rosaline Carter. Okay. So he's already in with the pieces. He's in with the pieces. He's in with the pieces early on okay. in this piece. <laughs> Okay. I mean, it sounds about right. Cult leaders like to do that kind of nonsense. They're crazy people. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in the fall of 1973, with critical newspaper articles and the defection of eight temple members, Jones and temple attorney Tim Stowen, sorry, prepared an immediate action. Because <laughs> I just don't know how to say it. I'm trying, guys. Uh, they <laughs> prepared an immediate action contingency plan to responding uh, to police or media crackdown. The plan listed uh, various options, including fleeing to Canada or to a... Uh, I was going to say Caribbean, but I would say Caribbean. So I don't know why Caribbean. I would say Caribbean. Tess, what's wrong with you? <laughs> As an actual Caribbean person. It's an American thing to say Caribbean. Um, why, why do they need to mispronounce it, though? <laughs> it's such a weird thing. Anyways, carry on. Anyway, so the option was to flee to Canada or to Caribbean missionary posts, such as Barbados or Trinidad. Uh, for its Caribbean missionary post, the temple quickly chose Guyana. Uh. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> Conducting research on its economy and extradition treaties with the US. And so that's the main reason they chose it. <laughs> 
in October 1973, the directors of the temple passed a resolution to establish an agricultural mission there. The temple chose Guyana in part because of the group's own socialist politics, which were moving further to the left during the selection process. Former temple member uh, Tim Carter st- stated that the temple concluded that Guyana, an English-speaking uh, socialist country with a predominantly indigenous population and with a government including prominent black leaders, would afford black temple members a peaceful place to live. Jones also thought that Guyana was small, poor, and independent enough for him to easily obtain influence and official protection. Oh, I feel attacked. <laughs> you feel attacked. <laughs> there you go. That's the. I mean, I don't know if that's. I mean, it makes sense, considering they're trying yeah. to get away from America. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. I just. Uh... Carry on. Carry on. <laughs> Jones was uh, skillful in presenting the Guyanese government uh, the benefits of allowing the People's Temple Agricultural Project, what a mouthful, <laughs> to settle within its borders. One of the main tactics was to speak of the advantages of their American presence near Guyana's disputed border with Venezuela. This idea seemed promising to the government, who feared attack from Venezuela. In 1974, after travelling to an area of northwestern Guyana with Guyanese officials, Jones and the temple negotiated a lease of over 3,800 acres of land in the jungle located 150 miles or 240 kilometres west of the (laughs) Guyanese capital of Georgetown. The site was isolated and had soil of low fertility, even by Guyanese standards. (laughs) Like They're like, this is even bad for us. (laughs) This is not good. Like, the... If I may, like, for um, Guyana, like, their whole thing, their exports are, um, like, I think it's something called bauxite, uh, gold, because, you know, we've got a lot of it, apparently. <laughs> and, um, like, in the universities there, like, their biggest majors are all agriculture, so, like, anything to do with farmland. Mm. So, when it comes to knowing if the soil's good, we all know. It's, like, it, it seems to be something that's embedded in us, like, even from a young age. So t- for them to be like, oh, this is pretty bad. <laughs> it's it's really bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, you know. <laughs> the nearest body of water was seven miles or 11 kilometers away by muddy roads. Jonestown's location stood not far from Guyana's disputed border with Venezuela and Guyanese officials hoped the presence of American citizens would deter a military incursion. So they kind of played him a bit. They were mm. like... Hey, if we're here, we'll help you, even though... Mm. <laughs> As 500 members began the construction of Jonestown, the temple encouraged more to relocate to the settlement. Jones saw Jonestown as both a socialist paradise and a sanctuary from media scrutiny. In 1974, Guyanese officials granted the temple permission to import certain items duty-free. <laughs> what a benefit. Later, payoffs helped safeguard shipments of firearms and drugs through Guyanese customs. Listen, I'm not saying a word. <laughs> I that one there. Like, cool, yep, move on. <laughs> Jones reached an agreement to guarantee that Guyana would permit temple members mass migration. Uh, to do so, he stated that they were skilled and progressive, showed, and he showed off an envelope he claimed, came, claimed contained uh, $500,000 and stated that he would invest most of the group's assets in Guyana. Though a relatively large number of immigrants to Guyana overwhelmed the government's small but stringent immigration infrastructure in a country where immigrants had outweighed locals. Mm. <laughs> Guyanese immigration procedures were compromised to inhabit the 
departure of temple defectors and curtail the visas of temple opponents. But what? Basically, they've set it up so that if you were trying to leave mm-hmm. a defector, it would be hard. Mm. And if you were trying to come, but you were an opponent of like an, of the temple, mm-hmm. you couldn't come. Okay, so basically they were kind of trapped within the Yeah, they were thing. trapping them there, essentially. Okay. Making it easy for you to come if you want to, if you were part of it. Mm-hmm. Hard for you to leave if you were part of it. <laughs> and if you weren't, you just couldn't go. Okay. Jonestown was held up as a benevolent communist community, with Jones stating, and this is in quotes, I believe we're the purest communists there are. <laughs> I mean, Russia we're, would disagree. We're pure communists, guys. <laughs> Jones wanted to construct a model community and claimed that the Guyanese Prime Minister... Uh, couldn't rave enough about us. The wonderful things we do, the project, the model of socialism. Apparently they thought they were obsessed. I mean, they were low-key obsessed. Jones did not permit members to leave Jonestown without his prior permission. So, like, 100% cult, like, vibes mm-hmm. right there. <laughs> the temple established offices in Georgetown and conducted numerous meetings with the PM and other Guyanese officials. So, PM, Prime Minister. <laughs> uh, the general feeling amongst officials and politicians was that Jones was a good man and that Jonestown was a success and impressive. Mm. So they didn't really see it as a problem. They didn't really see it as a cult either. They were like, making money for us, kind of. Protecting us, kind of. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, I guess that's turned somewhat of a blind eye. Yeah. And just be like, you're doing great anyways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll leave you over there. That's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, later, the Prime Minister... I'm assuming it's pronounced Forbes, as in the magazine. F O R B E S. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, if there's not some like other pronunciation, I'm gonna like embarrass myself. No. Uh, <laughs> Forbes Burnham stated that Guyana allowed the temple to operate in the manner it did on the references of Moscone, who we mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. Mondale, and Rosaline. I think I said Rosaline before. Rosaline. Rosaline. Rosaline Carter. M- Mrs. Carter. She was the first lady at the time. Burnham also said that. When the deputy minister travelled to Washington, D.C. in September of 77 to sign the Panama Canal Treaties, Mondale asked him, How's Jim? <laughs> Which indicated to him that Mondale had a personal interest in Jones's well-being. Okay. So even the high-end politicians in America were obsessed with him as well. So, of course you're going to trust, right? Are we surprised that politicians are obsessed with cult leaders? Well, I mean, cult leaders are charismatic. That's yeah. the whole purpose, is that they recruit people who were probably not even prone to going to a cult. Mm-hmm. So, like, danger. They probably made it sound like it wasn't a cult. Obviously, you're not going to use the word cult. No. But they probably made it, it sound like... It was a communist group, basically. It was the greatest communist group ever. <laughs> That's probably what they made it sound like. And then after a while, they're like, oh, this seems a bit like a cult. Shh, we don't talk no, about no, it. No, no, not at all. <laughs> Uh, in the summer of 77, Jones and several hundred temple members moved to Jonestown to escape building pressure from San Francisco media investigations. Jones left the same night that an editor at New West magazine read him an article to be published by Marshall Kilduff, sorry, detailing allegations of abuse by former temple members. After the mass migration, Jonestown became overcrowded. <laughs> uh, Jonestown population was slightly under 900 at its peak in 1978. Okay. That's a lot of people. Yeah. That's a lot of people. <laughs> this is why this whole thing is something that's worrying that we don't talk about. <laughs> um, many members of the temple believed that Guyana would be, as Jones promised, a paradise or utopia. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Steph's just shaking her head like, mm-hmm. <laughs> After Jones arrived, however, Jonestown, uh, Jonestown life significantly changed. Entertaining movies from Georgetown that the settlers had watched were mostly cancelled or um, in favour, because instead they started watching Soviet propaganda shorts and documentaries on American social problems. Bureaucratic requirements after Jones's arrival exhausted labour resources for other needs. Buildings fell into disrepair and weeds encroached on fields. School study and nighttime lectures for adults turned to Jones's discussion about revolution and enemies with lessons focusing on Soviet um, alliances. Jones's crises and the purported mercenaries sent by Tim Stowen, who was the attorney at the start of all this. Mm-hmm. He was also a leader, but he... Not a leader. He was a member of the temple, but he had defected from them and turned against the group. Okay. Now, that's a whole other story. I didn't really mention it in this, but briefly, him and his wife were in it. Mm-hmm. The wife had a baby mm-hmm. while they were in there. Jones was like, it's mine. And then Tim apparently like signed an affidavit saying, yep, it's his. They never really confirmed it. So then when they both defected, they had to leave the child at the, at the temple because apparently technically it was Jones's child. It's And so they tried to like sue him and get custody back from the child. It's so messy. And so, yeah. I mean, I guess yes. after 78, they got the child yeah, back. Well, <laughs> oh God, I'd hope so. <laughs> That's like a whole other level of problems. <laughs> Just problem after problem here, obviously. Okay. Uh, for the first several months, uh, temple members worked six days a week from approximately 6.30 in the morning to 6pm at night what? with an hour for lunch. <laughs> and I thought our work was bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, in mid-1978, after Jones's health deteriorated and his wife began managing more of Jonestown operations, the work week was reduced to eight hours a day for five days a week. After the day's work ended... Temple members would attend several hours of activities in a pavilion, including classes and socialism. And Jones compared this schedule to the North Korean system of eight hours of daily work followed by eight hours of study. Like that's a great that's a great example to look at, is it? North that's, Korea. That's like that's not a great example in the slightest. Like, you know who's great at doing this stuff? North Korea. North oh my great. god. North Korea is a whole different kind of worms. We're not gonna open that. No. Uh, this also comported with the temple's practice of gradually subjecting its followers to, sophist- to sophisticated mind control and behavior modification techniques, borrowed from Kim Il Sun's uh, North Korea mm-hmm. and Mao Zedong's China. Sorry, um, Zedong. Zedong. So Mao Zedong. Zedong. Or is it Zedong? Zedong. Mao, basically, the first one's basically Mao. the person who was in charge of China at the time, <laughs> the Chairman Mao. This dude, yeah, the other 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 piece. <laughs> uh, discussion around current events often took the form of Jones interrogating individual followers about the implications and subtext of given news items, or delivering lengthy and often confused monologues on how to read certain events. Mm. So even if he was like, this is news from home or this is what's happening in America or all, all around the world, he would then kind of be like, and you see, this is what, you know, basically it was so, crazy. So he tried to like alter their perception of what, of what was happening. Happened, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, such a beast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, nothing in the way of film or recorded TV shown on the commune's closed circuit system, no matter how inoffensive or seemingly politically neutral, could be viewed without a temple staffer present to interpret the material for the viewers. They're basically being taught how to think. Mm. Um, this invariably meant damning criticisms of perceived capitalist propaganda in Western material and glowing praise for and highlighting the Marxist Leninist messages in material from communist nations. Mm. So, yeah. <laughs> so Jones's recorded readings of the news were part of the constant broadcasts over Jonestown's tower speakers such that all members could hear them throughout the day and night. Jones's news readings usually portrayed the US as a capitalist and imperialist villain while casting socialist leaders such as Kim Il-sung and Joseph Stalin as in a positive light. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry you okay I feel stressed out by this <laughs> it's just so severely stressed out isn't it terrible yeah yeah it's pretty awful I would say like you know I don't know a whole lot about other cults I mean the only other one I kind of know a little bit about is the Waco one I don't know anything about that one there was a TV show about Waco yeah which I'd said I was gonna watch but I forgot his name was David and he thought he was Jesus basically <laughs> No, but he, um, I know a bit more about that one and it was, it was mainly, yeah, he, it, it's bad, it's bad, but this one is almost worse because, like, yeah, anyway. <laughs> I think they're all pretty horrendous. It's so hard to articulate, but basically, yeah. Yeah. This one, when you read the detail of how they were living and what their lifestyle was like, mm. it's not great. <laughs> because it stood on poor soil Jonestown was not self-sufficient and had to import large quantities of commodities such as wheat. Temple members lived in small shared houses and ate meals that reportedly consisted of nothing more on some days than rice, beans, greens, and occasionally meat, sauce, and eggs. Despite having access to an estimated $26 million, I don't know why, by late 1978, Jones also lived in a tiny shared house, though fewer people lived there than any other of the houses. Um, yeah, I don't know where that money is coming from, but he's not really using it. Um, <laughs> okay, that's weird. Yeah. His house reportedly held a small refrigerator containing, at times, eggs, meat, fruit, salads, and soft drinks. Medical problems such as severe diarrhea and high fevers struck half the community in February 1978, which, you know... Not surprising. <laughs> no, I mean, like they, these people are being deprived of foods that they would need to combat this kind of stuff, and you're getting rice and beans and sometimes greens. No, yeah. rice, beans, greens, sometimes, sometimes meat. meat. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Although Jonestown contained no dedicated prison and no form of capital punishment, various forms of punishment were used against members considered to have a serious disciplinary problem. Methods included imprisonment in a six by four by three foot, which is... Uh, 1.83 meters by 1.2 meters by 0 0.9 meters. So in a, in a coffin, essentially. Basically. <laughs> Jesus. Okay. Uh, plywood box, yeah, mm. and forcing children to spend a night at the bottom of a well, sometimes upside down. What? <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. This torture hole, in quotes, all, along with beatings, became the subject of rumor. Among local Guyanese. So they're like, have you heard of those crazy ass people over there? <laughs> like, dunking kids into wells. Oh my god. 
Uh, for some members who attempted to escape, drugs such as Valium were administered in an extended care unit. Ah. We're just going to make you sleep a little bit. Uh, armed guards <laughs> patrolled the area day and night to enforce Jonestown's rules. So even though they're like, oh, we don't really have like a, you know, a system where we punish people or imprison people, but we have guards that will shoot you. This is for your own good. I'm pretty yeah. sure that's exactly what he said. This is for your own good. Yeah, to protect you. you. Yeah, exactly. We're not doing anything to you. You're doing this to yourself. Don't even. <laughs> Uh, children were generally surrendered to communal care and at times were only allowed to see their biological parents briefly at night. Jones was called father or dad by both adults and children. Oh, <laughs> I have some. Oh. I was going to say I have so many things wrong with that, but this whole thing is wrong. The whole thing is wrong. The whole thing from start to finish is wrong. Uh, the community had a nursery at which 33 infants were born. So 33 of them were born in the piece. For a year, it appears the commune was run primarily through social security checks received by members. Up to $65,000 in monthly welfare payments from U.S. government agencies to Jonestown residents were signed over to the temple. So... (laughs) What? (laughs) So, Jones is out here bad-mouthing America, saying that they're capitalists and they're this, that, and the other. And basically, like, Caribbean Russia... But then they took their money. Wait, but America gave them money. Yeah, I reckon what they would have said would be like, you can't keep that money because that means that you're supporting this kind of life that we think is wrong. So you have to surrender your money. Mm. And of course they used it for themselves. Or, yeah. You know, they kept hold of it. But that would have been their reasoning. Oh my God. You know. <laughs> mm. In 1978, officials from the US Embassy in Georgetown interviewed Social Security recipients on multiple occasions to make sure they were not being held against their will. None of the 75 people interviewed by the embassy stated that they were being held captive or were forced to sign over welfare checks and they didn't want to leave Jonestown. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit about the people in the temple. African Americans made up approximately 70% of Jonestown's population. <laughs> so quite a large chunk. And 45% of the Jonestown residents were black women. So they definitely took advantage of them. And <laughs> and that was also their reasoning behind going to Guyana. Like, oh, Guyana, they don't care if people are black. Let's all go to Guyana. Everyone will feel safe. <laughs> what? Well, because the reason they left Indiana yeah. was that everyone was like, black people? <laughs> that's what, that's they, oh my God, it sounds like Mississippi <laughs> all over again. <laughs> They didn't like the fact that whites and blacks were integrating in this temple. So that's mm-hmm. why they moved to California. Yeah. And then obviously they picked Guyana because they were like, oh, well, the indigenous are not white. So I'm sure everyone will feel at home. It's just your wording was hilarious. Sorry. <laughs> okay, fair. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Jones made frequent addresses to temple members regarding Jonestown's safety including uh, statements that the CIA and other intelligence agencies were conspiring with capitalist pigs to destroy the settlement and harm its inhabitants. Sorry. (laughs) Stumbled over that. Embracing it. I can't talk today. That's fine. (laughs) Uh, After work, when purported emergencies arose, the temple sometimes conducted what Jones referred to as white nights. During such events, Jones would sometimes give the Jonestown members four options. Attempt to flee to the Soviet Union, commit revolutionary suicide, stay in Jonestown and fight the 
to call the attackers or flee into the jungle. I mean, I personally would not go into the jungle because the spiders are <laughs> freaking huge. <laughs> Deep. Yeah. Uh, so Jones was known to regularly study Hitler, are we surprised, um, and Father Divine to learn how to manip- manipulate members of the cult. Divine told Jones personally to find an enemy and to make sure they know who the enemy is, as it will unify those in the group and make them subservient to him. Oh my god, this sounds like 1984. <laughs> Genuinely, because like, you've read the book before, right? I haven't read the book, but I've seen a play of the book. Okay. So I know yeah. what happens. I know the... Fair. Yeah. So do you remember their um, figure of hate is Goldstein? Like this... It, it was just somebody who was like this is all wrong, you know, people mm. need freedom, etc., etc. But because of, like, how Big Brother um, worked, essentially, they used this person as a figure of hate and banded, like, the entirety of the country together to be like, you hate this guy, you know you do. Mm. So they'd have, like, um, it was, like, two minutes of hate every week. Oh, yes. Uh, like, is it every day, every week? Something like that. I can't really remember. I don't, yeah. But they'd be, like, screaming at him, like, traitor. Like, not at him physically, but, like, a uh, recording of him being, like, I hate you, you're a traitor, um, stuff like that. This is exactly what that sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> it's literally that. It's, when you read it, it makes sense. You're like, that makes, yeah. Yeah. This is how these things happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> On at least two occasions during White Nights, after a revolutionary suicide vote was reached, a simulated mass suicide was rehearsed. Temple defector Deborah Layton described the event in an affidavit. She says, Everyone, including the children, was told to line up. As we passed through the line, we were given a small glass of red liquid to drink. We were told that the liquid contained poison and that we would die within 45 minutes. We all did, as we were told. When the time came when we should have dropped dead, uh, Reverend Jones explained that the poison was not real and that we had just been through a loyalty test. He warned us that the time was not far off when it would become necessary for us to die by our own hands. So the temple had received monthly half-pound shipments of cyanide. (laughs) Cool, since 1976. (laughs) So they've been having this monthly shipment of cyanide for like three years. After Jones obtained a jeweler's license to buy the chemical, uh, reportedly to clean gold, which was fake news. In May 1978, a temple doctor wrote a memo to Jones asking permission to test cyanide on Jones Towns' pigs as their metabolism was close to that of human beings to just make sure it would work. So he decided to do tests <coughs> on pigs. Yeah. Just to be like, is this going to work? Yeah, of course. Does it this will. piece work? Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> do you know what I find really like kind of funny and not not funny but like okay so cyanide comes from um the cassava root so it's like eh, like the root of the cassava plant it's like deep into in in there and you can extract it from there i find it kind of ironic that as something that we have abundances of back home <laughs> but where he was where the soil was basically giving him the middle finger he was like oh, i'm gonna have to just do do just do the shortcut once <laughs> mm, okay interesting yeah. um sorry this is going on we haven't even got to the piece yet but i feel like some of this stuff is important to know because it makes it kind of brings context yeah to how it all unfolds um so in late 1977 and early 1978 tim and grace stone who i mentioned earlier mm-hmm. the uh, first attorney who defected. They participated in meetings with other relatives of Jonestown residents at the home of Jenny Mills, another temple defector. 
Together they called themselves the Concerned Relatives. Okay. <laughs> so Tim engaged in letter-writing campaigns to the U.S. Secretary of State and the Guyanese government and travelled to Washington, D.C. to attempt to begin an investigation. In January of 78, Stowen wrote a white paper to Congress detailing his grievances and requesting that congressmen write to Prime Minister Burnham and 91 congressmen wrote such letters, including Leo Ryan. Leo Ryan? Yeah, we're going to have to remember that name. Okay. (laughs) Remember Leo Ryan. Leo Ryan. Okay. So... On April 11th, 1978, the concerned relatives uh, distributed a packet of documents, including letters and affidavits, that they titled An Accusation of Human Rights Violations by Reverend James Warren Jones to the People's Temple, members of the press, and members of Congress. In June 1978, a further affidavit was provided detailing alleged crimes by the temple and substandard living conditions in Jonestown. Mm -hmm. So it's all building up now. (laughs) And uh, Tim represented three members of the concerned relatives in lawsuits filed in May and June of 78 against Jones and other temple members, seeking in excess of $56 million in damages. Mm -hmm. And I love this move. The temple, represented by Charles R. Gary, filed a suit against Stowen on July the 10th, 1978, Seeking $150 million in damages. Basically being like, oh, you're suing us? We'll sue you right back. But for what damages, though, did he I'm assuming, um... Oh, I'm assuming, uh, you know, uh... Baby? uh, um, No? Bad press, you know. Oh, slander. Yes, yeah. I'm assuming. I mean, your boy's out here just, like, <laughs> casually keeping slaves, yeah. but you call this a bad name. Oh, yeah, because that warrants. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. Um, so, as this is all unfolding, Jones's health significantly declined when he was in Jonestown, and in 78, Jones was informed of a possible lung infection, but because this is a cult leader, upon what he announced to his followers that he had lung cancer. A ploy to foster sympathy and strengthen support within the community. Mm. Mm-hmm. Thanks, man. Jones was said to be abusing injectable Valium. So he was also on drugs. <laughs> A cult leader on drugs? <laughs> <laughs> Audio tapes of 78 meetings within Jonestown attest to Jones's declining physical condition, with the community leader complaining of high blood pressure, which he had since the early 50s, small strokes and weight loss of 30 to 40 pounds in the last two weeks of Jonestown, although he was still noticeably overweight <laughs> in the final day. It's all those eggs and meat that he's got in his fridge. <laughs> he also had temporary blind li- blindness, convulsions, and in late October to early November in 78, while he was ill in his cabin, grotesque swelling of the extremities. Oh, so like... <laughs> feet and arms mm, and like everything was just just woo swollen up he was ballooning yes jones often mentioned chronic insomnia and he would often say he went for three or four days without any rest during meetings and public addresses his once sharp speaking voice often sounded slurred words ran together or were tripped over jones would occasionally not finish sentences even when reading typed reports over the pa system <laughs> just like i'm bored of that sentence <laughs> next one <laughs> So he's a mess. Right. And he's leading a little under 900 people mm-hmm. and run, trying to run this place. It's it's just crazy. I disaster. feel like, I don't know why, he looks like a balloon animal in my head now. <laughs> and he's just like, 
casually deflating and getting worse and worse. And he's like, I'm fine, guys. As the air is seeping out of him. (laughs) Literally. Ah, Leo Ryan. We remember him. We remember him from four seconds ago. ago, Um, He represented uh, California's 11th congressional district. He announced that he was going to visit Jonestown. Okay. Ballsy move. Uh, Ryan was friends with the father of Bob Houston, a temple member in California whose mutilated body was found near train tracks in 76, three days after a taped telephone conversation in which he stated that he was possibly leaving the temple. So I think we can all deduce there's some foul play. (laughs) There might be some foul play. Maybe something itch happened in here. (laughs) So over the following months, Ryan's interest was further aroused by allegations put forth by um, the concerned relatives. Mm -hmm. And on November 14th, Ryan flew to Jonestown and he took a delegation with him. That included his then legal advisor, uh, Neville... Anna Bourne, sorry, he was representing Guyana's Ministry of Information. Richard Dwyer was the Deputy Chief of Mission of the US Embassy to Guyana. There were also a number of journalists and reporters. So there was someone from the San Francisco Examiner, the photographer from the Examiner, NBC reporter, NBC camera operator, NBC audio technician and producer, Washington Post reporter, and San Mm -hmm. Francisco Chronicle reporter. Mm -hmm. And then eight members of the Concerned Relatives uh, were there as representatives, so a big chunk of people. Just a, just a couple people. Just going over there. <laughs> How many is that? Eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty. It's twenty. Twenty people. people. Brave enough to go over there. To go over there. I mean, strength in numbers, right? That, well, I mean, <laughs> nine hundred so. <laughs> versus twenty. I don't know. I'm pretty sure the camera operator was just like, "Can I please yeah. just get my check now? I don't really want to go." Literally. So. Um, because there is so much information, this next piece is very crucial to what unfolds. Okay. But because there is a lot of information, I don't want this to go for three hours. Right. (laughs) I'm going to try and shorten it and summarize it so we just have what we need to know. So Ryan and his delegation arrived in Guyana, and at first they were initially refused, allowed to go to Jonestown. Um, However, by the morning of November 17th, um, they informed... Jones that Ryan would likely leave for Jonestown that afternoon, regardless of whether he would let him in. Yeah. So he's just, I'm gonna go, guys. It doesn't matter. Like, I came all the way over here. I want to come see you. Yeah. What was happening? Uh, so Ryan and his party came to an airstrip, uh, six miles or ten kilometers from Jonestown, called Port Kaituma. 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 Yes. I did pretty good there. <laughs> Wait until you see the spelling Kaituma. for Kaisher. Yeah. <laughs> um. So they were all at the port. That that name will pop up again, Kaisuma, so I have to keep saying it or I'm going to forget. Um, <laughs> because of the limitations of seating on the aircraft, only four of the eight concerned relatives were allowed to accompany the delegation mm-hmm. to Jonestown. So then the other four were like, why did we even come here? <laughs> I made it so far. I can't even get on a plane. <laughs> um, only Ryan and three others were initially accepted into Jonestown while the rest of the group we're only allowed in after sunset. Don't know why that. Vampires, that's why. <laughs> well, I don't know why they made it so difficult. Like, I don't know. you know, they want to show they have control, I guess. Mm. Uh, while um, the group were received warmly, Jones said that he felt like a dying man and ranted about government conspiracies and martyrdom. That was my water bottle. <laughs> Sorry. Oh my God. <laughs> Shush. 
think he has an opinion on that. a bad time. That was not a good time to <laughs> chime in. Uh, no, he ranted uh, about martyrdom as he decreed attacks by the press and his enemies. It was later reported and verified by audio tapes recovered by investigators that Jones had run rehearsals on how to convince Ryan's delegation that everyone was happy and in good spirits. Two mem- temple members, uh, Vernon Gosney and M- Monica Bagby, made their first move for defection that night. Right. They saw a chance. So uh, in the pavilion where everyone was gathered, uh, Gosney mistook someone as Ryan and passed him a note reading, Dear Congressman Vernon Gosney and Monica Bagby, please help us get out of Jonestown. <gasps> <laughs> A child nearby witnessed Gosney's act and verbally alerted other temple members. Uh, okay. I think they're trying to hide. <laughs> I, oh, God. I, literally, I, why does 1984 come into everything? <laughs> no, because like they, they had child scouts, I guess you could call oh, them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Child spies. And anytime parents or anybody else did anything, the kids were the first. Well, obviously, because they you know brainwashed from such a young age. They were the first to just be like, look, something's happening, <laughs> and turn even their parents in. So this is not surprising. No. Oh, Lord. Um, so the person who was given the notes was Don Harris, who was the NBC reporter. Okay. So he took the two notes um, that Gosney gave to him, and he took them to Ryan and Ryan's legal advisor, Spy, Spire, Spire, sorry, Spire, uh-huh, sorry. <laughs> According to... <laughs> According to his legal advisor in 2006, reading the notes caused her and the congressman to realise that something was very, very wrong. <laughs> really? <laughs> not, not to show up. Someone just sent you a note being like, get me out of here. Literally the biggest SOS you could get. Literally. Uh, so they stayed the night. Some of them were only, only some of them were allowed to stay in Jonestown while the others were told, go away, go and mm-hmm. stay somewhere else. Okay. Typical. Fair. In the early morning of November 18th, which is on this day, and this is the start of the end. <laughs> this is the beginning of the end, yeah. y'all. Um, so that afternoon, the parks and the... Another one, Bogue. Bogue? Because <laughs> it's spelled like Vogue, but with a B. <laughs> okay, fair. I'll give you that one. <laughs> so, sorry again, Bogue, I guess. Uh, the Parks and Bogue families, along with in-laws Christopher O'Neill and Harold Cordell, stepped forward and asked to be escorted out of Jonestown by the Ryan delegation. They had guts. They are like, okay, hi, get me out of here. Yeah. Um, when Jones's adopted son, Johnny, attempted to talk, to talk uh, Jerry Parks out of leaving, Parks told him, no way, it's nothing but a communist prison camp. At least someone figured out what was going on. Jesus. Uh, so Jones gave those families, along with Gosney and Bagby, permission to leave. Oh, so they really? literally walked out the front door. Yeah, they left with the delegation. Oh. Um, when Harris, who is the reporter, handed Gosney's note to Jones during an interview in the pavilion, Jones stated that the defectors were lying and wanted to destroy Jonestown. I don't know how he figured that oh out. Tell me he but... dies like in n- now. <laughs> irritating man. <laughs> well. <laughs> While most of the Ryan delegation began to depart to go back to the airstrip, um... Before they left, a temple loyalist, Larry Layton, who is the brother of Deborah, who we heard the quote from earlier, demanded to join the group. And several defectors voiced their suspicions about Larry and his motives because they're like, he is obsessed. He wouldn't want to leave. Mm -hmm. Uh, Shortly after the truck initially departed, 
Temple member Don Ujira, sorry again, Sly, <laughs> grabbed Ryan, Leo, Leo Ryan while wielding a knife. While Ryan was unhurt after others wrestled Sly to the ground, uh, Dwyer strongly suggested that the congressman leave Jonestown while he files a criminal complaint against Sly. So he did so, and he uh, promised to return later to address the dispute. He's like, I'm coming back to fix this. Okay. So they get to the airstrip, and the entourage had originally scheduled a 19-seat passenger twin otter from Guyana Airways to fly them back to Georgetown. Because of the defectors departing Jonestown, the group grew, obviously, a number. There was more mm-hmm. of them. And now an additional aircraft was acquired. So they had uh, basically organised a little six-seater to turn up to. So they're waiting for these two planes. They get to the airstrip, and they're not there yet. They're mm. late. Mm. I'm scared. The group had to wait, and they... Uh, I think it was about half an hour late. And then they began pro- uh, they began boarding the planes. Okay. <laughs> my face right now yeah it's terrifying me <laughs> so Leighton who was the one that everyone's like why is he here mm-hmm. he's obsessed he was a passenger on the smaller plane and on the and he was the first one set to take off so after he had taxied to the far end of the airstrip about to go he produced a handgun and started shooting at the passengers and he wounded Bagsby and Gos. Ba- sorry, Bagsby. Bagby, yeah, Bagsby and Gosney, the two originally trying to get out and mm-hmm. tried to kill Dale Parks, who disarmed him after the gun misfired. At the same time, meanwhile, everyone's trying to board the larger plane, mm-hmm. and a tractor with a trailer attached, driven by members of the Temple's Red Brigade security squad, turned up. Mm. <laughs> and at the around the same time as the shooting occurred on the first plane, uh. This tractor approached and they got within 30 feet or 9 metres of the aircraft and started shooting uh, shotguns, handguns and rifles while circling the plane on foot. So, the first few seconds of the shooting were captured as an ENG video recording by the cameraman who were there. Right. Um, He was unfortunately killed, along with the examiner photographer Greg Robinson, the NBC reporter Don Harris who originally received those notes, and Temple defector Patricia Parks in a few minutes of, within the few minutes of the start of the shooting. Uh, Leo Ryan was killed as well after being mm. shot more than 20 times. And the other nine who were on that plane were injured but survived, and in around, they were in and around the plane. After the shootings, the Cessna's pilot, which is the smaller plane's pilot, mm-hmm. um, along with the pilot and co-pilot of the bigger plane um as well as an injured monica bagsby they fled in the small plane to georgetown okay the others were just kind of left on the airstrip (laughs) so this is the start of the day and this is kind of why this revolutionary suicide starts Mm -hmm. because basically if I had to quickly summarize <laughs> what's happening. Yeah. The paranoia of Jones mm-hmm. is that he thinks, like, we're done for now. They're going to go back to America. They're going to say all the stuff about us. We failed. This is, like, we, this is just not going to work out for us. I mean, essentially, that was what that was, was going to happen. That was basically happening. And I guess also because a lot of people were like, I'm leaving. Bye. Yeah. Um, so. 
<laughs> he sent in his like henchmen to be undercover and be like, oh yeah, I totally want to go too. I'm n- obsessed. No, that wasn't me. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Uh, he basically re- said to um, Gary, who was the new lawyer, like, all is lost. I have failed. Mm. We need to uh, do something about this. So... <laughs> to stop them from leaving get your guns exactly so after ryan and his group departed from jonestown uh marceline jones the wife made a broadcast on the public system basically saying everything's fine it'll be all right go back to your homes chill uh during this time (laughs) aids prepared a large metal tub with grape flavor aid and poisoned it with all these drugs that I can't pronounce. <laughs> oh my god. Should I try? <laughs> yeah, go ahead, try. Dipenhydramine. Dipen, dipen, dipenhydramine. Yeah. <laughs> Promethenzine. Promethenzine. Chlorpromenzine. You're doing slightly Chlor- okay. Chlor- chloroquine? Chlor- chloroquine. <laughs> do, do you want me to look up what the drugs were? Uh, chloral hydrate and okay. valium and cyanide. There we go. Okay, you definitely <laughs> nailed the last one. Thank God. I got the last last three. <laughs> Basically, all these drugs. Um, and they con- made a concoction and it was prepared with the help of the doctor, an in-house doctor, mm-hmm. a Texan native and a former addict. Um, addict? <laughs> <laughs> a former addict, addict. <laughs> a former addict yes um sorry now i'm just worried about all these other drug names popping up that i'm <laughs> trying to pronounce everything correctly and i just can't okay. even pronounce normal words um but he was a former drug addict and he got sober with the help of jones who paid for his college education to become a doctor mm. so he's basically been part of it for the whole piece jesus and he had been researching the best ways for a person to die in advance for the foreseen mass suicide. So the mm-hmm. doctor's like, we're going to be probably doing this. Yeah. <laughs> Let's figure out the best way. Jesus. So about 30 minutes after the initial announcement by the wife being like, we're all cool. Uh, Jim Jones made his own, calling everyone to go to the pavilion immediately. So this is where it all kind of starts. What, uh, what time is it at this point? Don't know. Okay. I would say probably five or six o'clock in the evening. Okay. Um, because, yeah, the guys trying to get on the plane was about five... Mm-hmm. A 44-minute cassette tape known as the Death Tape records part of the meeting Jones called inside the pavilion in the early evening of November 18th on this day, 1978. So, so much has already happened on this day. That's a lot. <laughs> That's like a whole action movie's worth of things. So much. I'm going to be real for you. I did not... I knew that, like, this happened. Yeah. I did not realise they did a whole shooting before this happened. No, though. I didn't know about the shooting either. And I didn't realise a politician literally got murdered, but, like... Crazy stuff. Yeah. Uh, when the assembly gathered, referring to uh, the Ryan delegation's air travel back to Georgetown, uh, Jones told the gathering, one of those people on that plane is going to shoot the pilot. I know that. I didn't plan it, but I know it's going to happen. They're going to shoot that pilot and down comes the plane into the jungle and we had better not have any of our children left when it's over because they'll parachute in here on us. <laughs> so they're basically trying to start scaring them already going like this is your only option right so parroting jones's uh prior statements that hostile forces would convert captured children to fascism one temple member stated the ones that we take captured 
the ones that they take captured, they're going to just let them grow up and be dummies. Okay. <laughs> I don't want my child to be a dummy. I'm going to make them participate in this suicide. On the tape, Jones urged Temple members to commit revolutionary suicide. Such an act had been planned by the Temple before, and according to Jonestown defectors, its theory was, you can go down in history saying you chose your, way, your own way to go, and is your commitment to refuse capitalism in, in support of socialism. Mm. Temple member Christine Miller argued that the Temple should alternatively attempt an airlift to the Soviet Union, mm. because before all this kicked off, which is something I skipped over because time because this is already nearly an hour <laughs> oh my god um they originally were trying to find another place to go to when um they realized guyana may not be the right place for them yeah and they were trying to figure out can we go to the soviet union can we go to you know anywhere that will take us uh so her suggestion was why don't we try and go to the soviet union mm-hmm. try to escape it and then jim mcevlin Sorry, a former therapist who had arrived in Jonestown only two days earlier. Oh my god. He just came. (laughs) He assisted Jones by arguing against Miller's resistance to suicide, stating, let's make it a beautiful day. Let's make this beautiful. And later citing possible reincarnation. Possible reincarnation. Guys, you could become a butterfly tomorrow. Or you could have come back as a toilet brush. (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) So, mm -hmm. after several exchanges in which Jones argued that a Soviet exodus would not be possible, along with reactions by other temple members, um, Miller uh, backed down. She was like, okay, fine. (laughs) However, Miller may have ceased uh, dissenting when Jones confirmed at one point that the congressman has been murdered after the airstrip shooters returned. Okay. So that's going to freak everyone out because they just came back and like, yeah, we just killed everyone. We just left. When the Red Brigade members came back to Jonestown after Ryan's murder, Tim Carter, a veteran war, um, Vietnam War, I should say, veteran, recalled them having the thousand yard stare of weary soldiers. Mm. After Jones confirmed that the congressman's dead, um, no dissonant is heard on the death tape. By this point, armed guards had taken up positions surrounding the pavilion area. So you don't really have a choice anymore. Directly after this, Jones stated that the Red Brigade's the only one that made any sense anyway, and the Red Brigade showed them justice. Sure. Sure, sure. Jan. Sure, Jan. <laughs> In addition uh, to McEvelyn, sorry again, several other Temple <laughs> members gave speeches praising Jones and his decision for the community to commit suicide, even after Jones stopped appreciating this praise and begged for the process to go faster. It's like, okay, that's nice, but can we really get this going? <laughs> and this is lovely. Thank you. Plane's <laughs> coming down, y'all. We need to kind of do this now. <laughs> According to escaped Temple member Odell Rhodes, the first to take the poison uh, were Ruletta, Paul, and her one-year-old infant. Oh, my God. A syringe without a needle fitted was used to squirt poison into the infant's mouth, after which Paul squirted another syringe into her own mouth. Stanley Clayton also witnessed mothers with their babies first approach the tub containing the poison. Clayton said that Jones approached people to encourage them to drink the poison, that after adults saw the poison begin to take effect, they showed a reluctance to die, because they were seeing people dying. Mm. I mean, yeah, of course. Yeah, also because I think some of them still thought maybe this was a fake piece. Yeah. Because they had so many fake pieces before. Yeah. The poison caused death within five minutes for children, less for babies, and an estimated two to th- 20 to 30 minutes for adults. After consuming the poison, uh, according to Rhodes, people were then escorted away down a wooden walkway leading outside the pavilion. It is not clear if some initially thought the exercise was another white night rehearsal, mm-hmm. uh, but Rhodes reported being in close contact with dying children. Mm. 
So in response to reactions of seeing the poison take effect on others, Jones counseled, uh, die with a degree of dignity. Lay your life with, lay down your life with dignity. Don't lay down with tears and agony. He also said, I tell you, I don't care how many screams you hear. I don't care how many anguished cries. Death is a million times preferable to 10 more days of this life. If you knew what was ahead of you, if you knew what was ahead of you, you'd be glad to be stepping over tonight. Jesus. (laughs) So... Rhodes described a scene of both hysteria and confusion as parents watched their children die from the poison. He also stated that most present quietly waiting their own turn to die and that many of the assembled temple members walked around like they were in a trance. Uh, Survivor Tim Carter had suggested that, like a previous practice, um, there was a possibility that that day's grilled cheese sandwich for lunch had been uh, drugged up with sedatives. Possibly. I don't know if that's verified uh this crowd was surrounded by armed guards offering members the basic dilemma of poison or guard shoots you (laughs) i mean did these guards also drink the poison yes okay good uh cries and screams i'm sorry to just go right back into it (laughs) i I, I also should clarify i don't mean like okay good glad like everybody died but like they actively followed and participated in the violence towards these people so so Screw them. (laughs) Sorry, she swore and I just looked at it. I was like, we don't swear here like that. Um, I'm a little little innocent bean. At least that was a good place for you to cut, so. (laughs) I'm an innocent bean. We don't swear. Sorry. We don't do that here. (laughs) We don't do that here. We swear a little, but like teenage level swearing. (laughs) PG-13. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Um, Cries and screams of children and adults were easily heard on the tape recording that was made. Uh, As more temple members died, eventually the guards themselves decided to poison up. (laughs) Sorry. Poison Poison up. up. (laughs) Sorry. Jones was found dead lying next to his chair in the pavilion between two other bodies, his head cushioned by a pillow. Of course. He had to, even in death. He needed a pillow. His death death was caused by a gunshot wound to his left temple that Guyanese chief medical examiner uh, stated was consistent with being self-inflicted. Uh, this event was had constituted the greatest single loss of American civil um, civilian life and deliberate act until obviously uh, September 11. Mm-hmm. But up to that point, it was um, I can't get an exact number because I see different numbers. But basically, it was around 900 people. Yeah, that's a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of people. Um, so, three high-ranking temple survivors claimed they were given an assignment and thereby escaped death. Mm-hmm. Of course they did. <laughs> Tim Carter and his brother Mike, they were 30 and 20 respectively, and Mike Prokes, sorry, 31. Uh, I need to just make that a sound bite and just push a button every time I <laughs> pronounce a name I'm not sure of. Sorry. Um, they were given luggage containing 550000 US dollars and 130000 Guyanese currency. It doesn't say what the currency is. Do you guys? It's dollars. It's dollars as well? Yeah. Okay, Guyanese dollars. <laughs> <laughs> and an envelope which they were told to deliver to the Soviet embassy in Georgetown. The letters included uh, listed accounts with balances totaling in excess of $7.3 million and they wanted that to be transferred to the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. <laughs> they basically like, everything we have to the Soviet Union. Enjoy, Lenin. <laughs> <sighs> Prokes and the Carter brothers soon ditched most of the money and were apprehended heading heading for a temple boat at Port Kaituma. 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, the brothers were given the task before the suicides began and soon abandoned it when they realized what was about to happen. So Tim Carter desperately tried to search for his wife and son, discovering his son in time to witness him being poisoned and his oh. wife killing herself in despair. At this point, Carter had a nervous breakdown, <laughs> obviously, and was pulled away from the village by his equally distraught brother. Two more people who were intended to be poisoned managed to survive. Uh, Grover Davis, who was 79, who was hearing impaired, <laughs> missed the announcement to assemble oh. on the loudspeaker. <laughs> the, one of the few times it pays off go. to be old. But, uh, he, but he laid down in a ditch and pretended to be dead when he realised what was happening. Genius. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hyacinth? Hyacinth. That's right, yeah. yeah. It's a type of flower. Five points to Hufflepuff. (laughs) Um, She was uh, 76, realised what was happening and crawled under her bed only to walk out after the suicides were completed. Fair. So it was... I mean, part of me is like, good, obviously. Mm -hmm. You avoided that. But then another part of me is like, this was so rushed that they didn't even bother to go out looking, making sure everyone was there. Yeah. Like... They were just like, we need to kind of do this now. <laughs> yeah, like, he, he... I'm pretty sure Jim Jones was just pretty much thinking, it's all going to be over any minute now. Yeah. So we got to So technically you could have hid in your room. Yeah. And if no one ratted you out, you would have survived. Yeah. If you Crazy. had your, like, your windows closed, windows closed, your curtains closed or whatever <laughs> it is. Yeah. And, you know, you just stayed in the closet or under the bed or whatever it is, you could have made it out. Yeah. You would have been okay. Literally. Um, so the only medical doctor to initially examine the scene at Jonestown was the medical examiner that we mentioned earlier from Mm -hmm. Guyana. He visually examined over 200 bodies and later told a Guyanese coroner's jury of having seen needle marks on at least 70. Mm -hmm. However, they can't really say that this was what poisoned them. Mm -hmm. They think it may have been used to give them so-called relief after people were starting to have convulsions and Mm -hmm. other side effects to the poison um so this examiner medical examiner and american pathologist uh lynn crook determined that cyanide was present in some bodies while analysis of the contents of the vat revealed several tranquilizers as well as potassium cyanide and potassium chloride uh plastic cups flavored packets and syringes some with needles and some without littered the area where the bodies were found and it was concluded that a gunshot wound to any more could not have been self-inflicted. So there's mm. proof that some people were trying to get out, just shot. Even though they say uh, she had ingested a lethal dose of cyanide, so she was already. So then there's a theory of maybe her reaction was so like scary. Mm-hmm. Maybe she was having fits and seizures that yeah. scared people. They just shot her because they're like, we can't. Yeah. Because <laughs> everyone else is going to freak out if they see that's what you're going to go through. Yeah, I mean, you did say earlier that he was trying to calm everybody else down. Yeah. So probably that's one of the reasons why. Yeah. It's horrendous. Uh, Guyanese authorities wavered their requirement for autopsies in the case of unnatural death because who's going to perform 900 autopsies? <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> Nobody. You ain't got How that much that time. How's that gonna happen? Doctors in the US performed some autopsies, uh, only on seven of the bodies, including Jones, Moore, the woman who was also shot, and uh, a few others, mainly because uh, their families had urged them yeah. to complete one, um, especially people who weren't temple members. So in the early evening of November 18th, this is also gonna make you go, ugh. 
Um, so on the on the day at the time, the temple's headquarters in Georgetown, uh, the member who was there, Sharon Amos, received a radio communication from Jonestown instructing instructing the members at the headquarters to take revenge on the temple's enemies and then commit revolutionary suicide. So they weren't even there, mm. told to do it. And uh, later, after police arrived at the headquarters, Sharon escorted her children, um, Lyanne, she was 21, Krista, 11, and Martin, 10, into a bathroom with a kitchen knife. <gasps> and uh, so she killed Krista, 11, then Martin, 10, and then passed the knife to Leanne, who was 21, and Leanne killed Sharon, the mother, and then killed herself with the knife. So they took part in the suicide, even though they weren't there. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty horrendous. Oh, my God. This is this is why I don't like people. Yeah. this Like, they were so into it, they didn't even question it. Like, you are so far away from it that you could easily go... No, <laughs> but their belief in the whole thing was so strong. It was so strong they that were like, they thought of course, that yeah. yeah they thought that was a great idea. It's like oh no no, no we're gonna prove our loyalty and we're gonna do it anyway. Okay, good luck yeah. with that. Um, so I'm sorry this is already long. It's like I said, there's a lot of information and we have a little bit left. So hopefully I'll, I'll fly through it for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we go back to the airstrip. Because I just left you there with no um You left me closure. there. <laughs> <laughs> I just left you there. Sorry, I'll come back. Uh, five teenage members of the Parks and the Bogue families with one boyfriend. I don't know why they had to specify. <laughs> well, he wasn't part of the family, I guess. Okay, boyfriend fair. of someone in the family. They followed the instructions of one of the defectors, uh, Gerald Parks, to hide in the adjacent jungle until help arrives so that their safety was assured. Fair. Uh, thereafter, that group was lost for three days in oh. the jungle. They nearly died. Oh, the Guyanese soldiers, they found them. Bless yeah. them. But I love that idea of just like wandering. I wouldn't go in into the jungle. Just be on the edge. I would be on the edge. That's what I thought until you said they were lost they for three lost. days. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Jesus, they just guys. just kept going. Yeah. Um, so, uh, 912 of the 918 dead, including Jones himself, were collected by the U.S. military in Guyana, then transported by military cargo plane to Dover Air Force Base in Delaware, a location that had been used previously for mass processing of the dead from the Tenerife Airport disaster. I don't know if you're aware of that. No. Um, I believe it's the one where two planes just... Oh, collided? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> because I think... Um, I mean, this could be the wrong one, but this is the one that comes to mind for me. Because I think there's only ever been one <laughs> Tenerife airport disaster. Fair. But, um, basically, there was fog on the runway. Bad communication happened. One of them was just trying to get off the runway. And one was ready to take off. And, yeah, miscommunication. And they just collided, like, full on, head on. And everyone on the planes died. Jeez. Um, on both of the planes, yeah. So... More death, sorry. Uh, the base uh, mortuary was tasked with fingerprinting, identifying, and processing the bodies. The base's resources were overwhelmed, obviously, and numerous individuals tasked with moving or identifying the body suffered symptoms of PTSD. I feel you, you know? That's... I mean, I'm pretty sure, like, after one body, I mean, personally, I'd be pretty traumatized. Well, you're not only dealing with adults, you're dealing with infants. Yeah. And children, like, horrific. Mm. In many cases, responsibility for uh, cremation of the remains was distributed to Dover area funeral homes. Um, 
I don't know if I want to keep reading all about the sad stuff. <laughs> you picked, like, the ultimate sad, sad the thing. Ultimate, went from the ultimate happy to the ultimate sad. I think this is the most depressing one that we've done so far. Pretty much, I reckon, yeah. Like, I feel my insides just... They've left. They've left this planet. Sorry. I hope they come back. <laughs> They'll come back with some pizza. <laughs> with some pizza. It's okay. We've got comfort food. It's fine. Um, in August 2014... The never-claimed cremated remains of nine people uh, from the massacre were found in a former funeral home in Dover, and as of September of the same year, four of them uh, were returned to next of kin. The remaining five had not been given out <laughs> to Did the family. shared out, yeah. Sorry. Uh, those five were publicly identified to ho- in the hopes of finding family who would want to claim them, uh, but all of them were unclaimed. Uh, so they were interred at the Jonestown Memorial at Evergreen Cemetery in Oakland, California. What along I feel with the like... remains of approximately half of those who perished are there as well. I feel like the one, the five that weren't claimed, like after all this time, mm. I wouldn't be surprised if, I mean, the obvious, you know, they just didn't have any next of kin. Yeah. Or maybe if they did, their family was just so ashamed. They just were just like, no, you've done yeah, your damage Yeah, and also now. like because it would have been... 30 or so years later mm-hmm. and that even if older members of the family knew the younger ones probably didn't even know you don't need to bring that into the house and explain yeah. it yeah they yeah. just wouldn't even mention it you don't want to bring that back up again so Larry Layton the beast in the plane who had fired a gun at several people obviously he was initially found not guilty of attempted murder in the Guyanese court because his defense was that he was brainwashed. I don't care. <laughs> I do not care. The very least that they could have done is put him into some sort of an asylum. That's okay. the very least. Tell me he's dead. Well, he um, acquittal in a Guyanese court did not free him. Okay. Uh, he was deported back to the U.S. and arrested in the U.S. Um, upon arrival in San Fran. Cisco. Sorry, I don't know why I just say San Fran. I'm, I'm not trying to be cool or anything. <laughs> San Francisco, sorry. I don't know why. No, that's fine. I think everybody knows what you mean. <laughs> um, he could not be tried in the US for the attempted murders of the people he didn't kill that day uh, because it happened on Guyanese soil. Mm. Uh, but instead, he was tried under a federal statute against assassinating members of Congress mm-hmm. and internationally protected people who Ryan obviously Leo yeah. Ryan he was convicted of conspiracy and of aiding and abetting the murder of Ryan and of the attempted murder of Dwyer who was one of the um, ministers who was there with him mm-hmm. paroled in 2002 he is the only person ever to have been held criminally responsible for the events at Jonestown yeah so he was paroled but I don't know how old he would be if this happened in the 70s I'm assuming he would be in his 20s or 30s at the time he's probably like 60 70s, 70s yeah so, mm-hmm. Okay, we're nearly finished. I promise. I'm sorry. I know this is terrible and depressing. I'm sorry. Okay. Your, your mother will never listen to this episode. <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> Counsel. She'll, no, she'll see the length and go, never mind. <laughs> won't even attempt to listen. Uh, the event was covered heavily by the media and photographs uh, pertaining to, the, to it adorned newspaper and magazine covers for months afterwards, as mm-hmm. you can imagine. Um, it was labelled a cult of death by both Times and Newsweek magazines. And in February of 79, 98% of Americans polled said that they had heard of the tragedy, which kind of makes it um, one of the 
few events in the entire history of the poll that they used mm-hmm. where there was such a high percentage mm-hmm. of people knowing what was happening, <laughs> basically. Jeez. It's very well known. Uh, obviously, this was not a good look for the Guyanese Prime Minister. <laughs> so the Guyanese political opposition seized the opportunity to embarrass the Prime Minister Burnham mm-hmm. by establishing an inquest which concluded that Burnham was responsible for the deaths at Jonestown. This explains a, l- a lot. Like, my grandma would say that... <laughs> she would not say anything nice about this president. And um. I, I didn't know why. But, like, I would just take her word for it because grandma, you know, she's right. Yeah, grandma knows. Grandma knows. <laughs> and my grandma was born in 1950. So she was alive during all of this, and obviously because my mom was only nine years old at the time, um, she would like constantly say like, "He's a stupid man. He doesn't know what he's doing," <laughs> um, and I, I would just be like, "You know what? Fine. You don't like him. That's fair. He probably is a shit president. Apparently, he yeah. truly was. <laughs> so I can see why she doesn't like him. He's yeah. no longer president now. For anyone who who is worried about that, but yeah, I can totally see why now." Um, so to wrap it up quickly, the aftermath of all of this. Uh, so in late February 1980, Al and Janine Mills, they were the co-founders of the Concerned Relatives, mm-hmm. and their daughter Daphne, they were shot and killed execution style in their Berkeley, California home. Eddie Mills, Al and Janine's son, who was believed to be involved Like, he was arrested for it in 2005, Mm -hmm. but charges were not filed against him. Uh, The case is still not solved, Mm -hmm. but a lot of people being, like, they they found this concerned relatives piece, and the whole family was, apart from the son, apparently, was killed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In 1984, former Temple member Tyrone Mitchell, who had lost both of his parents and five siblings at Jonestown, fired upon students at an L.A. elementary school from his second-story window, killing two people and injuring 12, and then turned the weapon on himself Mm. to commit suicide. So there's, like, you know, maybe it wasn't related that his whole family died in this massacre. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was. Well... Speculation. I hate to say butterfly effect, but probably in his case, yeah. Mm. Like, that all happened, and he kind of grew up with this... Uh, I don't want to say way of thinking, but he grew up with this whole situation still probably replaying in his head. Mm. Couldn't take it anymore. Most likely did that. Mm. Uh, the bodies of over 400 of those who died are buried in a mass grave at Evergreen Cemetery in Oakland, California. In 2011, a memorial to them was erected at the cemetery. Although Jones used poisoned flavour aid, the drink mix was also commonly mistakenly referred to as Kool-Aid, which you've probably heard of. (laughs) Yeah. This has led to the phrase, drinking the Kool-Aid, referring to a person or group holding an unquestioned belief, argument, or philosophy without critical examination. And I promise you that's it! (laughs) (laughs) So that's everything that I have on Jonestown. Jesus Christ, this is long. (laughs) This is very long and depressing, so I apologise. That's okay. Sorry. Um... So because this is such a long, terrible piece, is there anything you want to say that makes us feel happy and good about ourselves? Um, I can tell you good things about Guyana. <laughs> because I feel like this is all that they're known for at this point, and that's pretty horrendous. Uh, so Guyana is a Caribbean uh, country um, on the mainland of South America. Um, so still connected, just not physically, to the rest of the Caribbean. Um, they do amazing food. Um, 
the people there are not like that, I can assure you. We have a, a better sense of family and uh, country pride in the sense that we don't care if you came from Japan or Portugal or Australia. Like, once you, you know, become a part of the Guyanese community, you are Guyanese. Bless. So, there are good people, there are bad people everywhere. I pray to God this is not what we're only remembered for. <laughs> but... Well, to be fair, yeah. the people doing this were American. Yeah, you know what? For, <laughs> screw it. So we're gonna blame the Americans because what else do I do? Guyanese wouldn't do this. They were chilling. They're like, what are they doing? Literally, the fuel was right there. I can't believe I didn't say it right <laughs> in the first place. Like, it's the Americans. Stop coming over to people's countries and influencing them to do stupid stuff. From a distance, questioning everything. Like, why are they doing this? <laughs> What's going on over there? Oh my days. Um, but otherwise, yeah. If you ever feel like going to Guyana, go to Georgetown. It's very nice. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the largest, not in Georgetown specifically, but we do have the largest natural waterfall, which is Kaiser Falls. We have the tallest uh, wooden structure, which is a beautiful church. Hmm. Um, and the people are very friendly. Stunning. So don't be afraid of it now. <laughs> <laughs> don't be afraid. Um, do not be afraid. Just don't trust the Americans. <laughs> 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 Um, okay, we'll wrap this up so that we don't keep you. But if I were to um, put something positive, I uh, was listening to our piece last week. Mm-hmm. And I, as I was listening out loud when we were talking about kids' shows, mm. I went, Post my pad! Oh <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to say Post my pad! And his black and white cats! Oh, oh so that's fun. I'm going to leave you with the thought of Post my pad. Yeah, let's let's talk about Postman Pat so later. Sweet. So sweet, <laughs> so lovely. Okay, thank you for listening and sticking with us for this one. I'm sorry it's so long. I'm sorry it's so depressing, but I thought it was interesting, mm. especially the lifestyle and what was leading up to it. Because I personally did not know how it unfolded or why. I just knew it happened. Yeah. Um, and the fact that it was horrendous. Um, I may talk about cults in the future. So again, sorry, they're, they're the worst <laughs> topics because they're so depressing, but. I hope you learnt something, even if it means don't join a cult. Uh, Never join a cult. Don't do it, guys. <laughs> just, just don't do it. Don't. If you need to make friends, I'm always here. Yeah. I have, like, two friends, and one of them is here next to me. <laughs> oh so I can days. always use more friends. <laughs> also, Kool-Aid is actually very nice. I know this is not the official drink of the thing, <laughs> but Kool-Aid is very nice. There you go. Try to expand upon your palate with Caribbean food. Yes. <laughs> when not cyanide. Bless. Okay, well, thank you for listening. Um, I've been Tess. And I've been Steph. Thank you. I can't, I don't know why I keep thanking you because I know this is going to be long and hard to listen to. <laughs> but thank you guys. And uh, hopefully you'll tune in next time. <laughs> we've been stunning. I forgot to say we've been stunning. We're always stunning. We're always stunning. Thank you. Bye. Bye.